Hello and welcome to Fundraising Forward. I am Brittany Schaff, the Global Vice President of Fundraising at Graduate. Today, my friends, I have my very, very good friend, Adrian Mathis with me. Adrian is the Assistant Vice President of Annual Giving at the Oklahoma State University Foundation and overall just a genuinely awesome guy. Adrian, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Brittany. I'm uh, really excited to chat with you today. So I know that we've known each other for some time now, um, but I'm really, really excited to talk about this one very specific topic, which is moving beyond your traditional phone program. Why do you think the traditional phone-a-thon program is changing? Maybe we just start there. Hey, you know, it, it's a lot of different reasons. You can't put your finger on any any one one specific thing. Um, I mean, we've been talking about declining contact rates for years now. Uh, some of the programs I've talked to and, and been a part of are, are, are seeing that worse than others. Um, lots of folks still don't have significant portions of their database that doesn't have cell phone numbers. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different things, not to mention the, the quote unquote great re resignation. We're finding that that's, that's going all the way down to um, our student employees as well. We're not talking about just professional staff either. Uh, and even the, you know, the remote nature of the, of the work that we do now, um, for-profit companies, you know, are, are embracing this to some greater or lesser extent. And I feel like higher ed fundraising in, in, in general is not, not as quick to embrace some of that stuff, especially when you go down to the level of an average student caller um, who, you know, the turnover rate is really high. Do we arm these these uh, these employees of ours, these student college of ours, with with the technology to work remotely when they're maybe aren't only going to work for us for a semester or two semesters or something like that? What's the what's the ROI there? Um, but it, it's really you know, it, and the the other thing too, I feel like it's phone programs are and always have been pretty expensive, and if you're seeing that declining ROI. Well, it's, I feel like it's really easy for leadership to say, well, this is something we can, we can cut. But then on the flip side of that, phone is still, is still one of, if not the best one-to-many kind of engagement tool that we have, let alone fundraising. Um, I, the old saw I still use regularly, you know, your student caller may be the only voice that a particular alum hears from your university all year long. And if, if we keep chipping away at that level of engagement or, or really seriously consider, you know, killing these kinds of things, I think we're in for, you know, I think, I think we don't know what the repercussions of that uh, could, could be either. So it's, a, it's an interesting time. Uh, some of it, I think, positive. Some of it is, is really things we're going to have to think about hard and make some hard decisions about. Yeah, I think uh, your, your statement, especially around um, the ROI is intriguing to me because I, you know, I don't, there's not a lot of organizations out there that are completely cutting a phone program per se. I think what mm -hmm. people are doing is recognizing how to scale it correctly, whether it's segmenting it correctly or creating ROI and metrics that make sense to that organization. And on that note, I guess I'm always intrigued when people create ROI metrics and they're not just financial, right? So if we look at like how the program is changing, it's not necessarily just anymore as it was when you and I first started it out, which I'm not gonna talk about that year. Um, but, but now it's more of how do I measure the return on investment of engagement metrics? 
How do I measure the return on investment on um, the pipeline of acquisition of first-time donors on my phone or student engagement on my phone, something like that. And I think that's something that you, know, you and I have discussed over the years is like this evolution of not just the program itself, but the metrics we use for the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, I mean, how do we, how do we do more? I hate to, I hate to say, how do we do more with less? Uh, but do we, do we really need a phone, a 40 station call room anymore at the, at the, at, the, at our, at our big schools? Uh, do we need, we need, we do need to get smarter about those things and think about this from a, from more of a boutique standpoint. We're so sophisticated in a lot of other ways, you know, uh, digital targeting, all that kind of great stuff, all the, all the things we're doing in the digital space, but there's still room for that one-on-one connection and we got to figure out how to do it smarter, I think is the, is the biggest thing. Yeah, I think one of the other things that was really stands out to me from what you've just said is around your contact rates because um, you know, your conversion rates are based on your contactability rate. Mm-hmm. Your contactability rate is based on the fact that you can actually call someone. And as we move into um, mobile first in every way possible and landlines are the things that some of us still have in our homes, but not most people, um, that you know, with the new iOS development of you know, making sure that not everyone can be contacted unless that person has your number in their actual contact report, it makes it harder for even Bonathon programs. So I think going back to your statement of how to like segment correctly, and that's really part of the change is going to be helpful because you need to obviously make sure that the people you're calling have the phone number that you're calling from in their in their contact list or at least in an, in an email so it's actually picking it up and not sending it directly to voicemail speaking of that I, some of some of our our friends in the industry and i have, have have chatted over the last couple of years about testing interesting ways to try to make that happen uh do we do we insert the um general phone-a-thon phone number in all of our email communications and a font that's the same color as the background at the in the footer of every one of our email messages that we send people uh, that that kind of thing we really do have to think outside the box in order to get that get that across and get in people's get in people's phones because i do think i think that there's the whole myth of phonathon bad uh to you know put it in frankenstein terms i guess uh but it, it you know, we still get, and I don't want to say very few, but there are still many, many, many of our constituents who do want to have a phone conversation with us, regardless of all the memes about, oh, I don't, you know, text me only, I don't answer my phone anymore. There's still tons of people that want to talk to us, but if the technology is getting in the way to not allow us to get through to those folks, we've got to be able to think about what ways can we, can we get in there to leap that hurdle, so to speak. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, I guess good transition here is talking about how it's evolved, it's changing. I guess mm-hmm. the, the, the very next question I think our listeners are probably waiting for me to ask you is, fantastic, Adrian. How are you all going to use phone differently? How are you envisioning to do it, I guess, at OSU and OSU Foundation moving forward? Yeah. One of the things we're really talking about right now is partnering more with I guess, for lack of a better term, our auxiliary units or our partner institutions, for those of us who, like like OSU, has a separate alumni association, 
The foundation is also separate from the university. The university is its own entity. Um, we want to make stronger partnerships with colleagues in those areas so that, we, because, because again, when, you, when it really boils down to it, when you're talking about your constituents, your constituents don't really see a difference between the Alumni Association, the foundation, the university. It's all OSU. It's all Texas. It's all Notre Dame. So we can't afford to let that brand of inside baseball hamper us. Um, you know, I've been in this field for 20 years now, and, and my first job back in the day, you know, we, we were struggling about, well, how, you know, we only take annual gifts, we don't take alumni association memberships, those sorts of things. Well, why not? Why can't we make our system such to, if we can, be all things to all people from a one-stop shop kind of standpoint? Um, so we're really working closely with our alumni association right now to see if we can get some things going. Uh, whether that be we're actually doing membership calls or whether, you know, rather than farming out all the directory business that they do, why don't we, uh, why don't we pitch a hand in on, on that sort of thing? Um, so those are the kinds of things we're thinking about there. Uh, we're also, well, for example, we have a brand new performing arts center up in Stillwater and trying to get the word out and build a list around that so we can have a solid membership there even outside of our alumni base we're right now talking to our colleagues over at the mcknight center for performing arts about maybe doing some uh hey the season you know the season's coming up uh do you want to buy tickets those sorts of things not necessarily getting into the ticket sale business but more informational calls and more engagement calls uh expanding those kind of thank you touches as well those are some things we're thinking about with respect to outside of our, our particular, you know, foundation sphere. Um, that non-revenue work, I think, will do a good job at continuing to, to, to heighten that engagement. Um, leadership annual giving is another thing that that's, I feel like that's a little bit trickier because you do have to have some quality callers on, on your staff there. If you have a tremendous amount of turnover, as many of our phone programs do, it's difficult to, to really identify some solid uh, individuals, student individuals there that, that can really help you with that. But I do think there's a niche there. Um, we, you know, when I was at Texas, we saw great success with increasing those $500,000, $2,500 gifts over the phone, because again, these are still annual level gifts for, for these particular donors. And they, and, you know, they, they respond to our, our direct response fundraising, just, just like a $25 or $50 donor would. Uh, with that being said, from an engagement standpoint and a, and a bringing, your, bringing your donor base closer while moving them up the pipeline, that's the next best thing than a major gift officer. If you don't have a leadership annual giving program, how do you make the phonathon kind of fill that niche? Uh, I guess the other thing to think about is things above and beyond actual phone calls. Now, I text. I, I mean, that's really that, that's really the bottom line there. Um, I know in, in in my world when we first started talking about SMS messaging and things like that. Oh well, we we've we've got to find a vendor that'll provide this platform, and then okay, well who who's going to do it? You know. When I was at Texas, we were we were breaking these lists up and everybody on the team is trained on the texting platform. Well, we've got a 30 station call center right downstairs. Why aren't we letting our, our students do that? Um, they're also I feel like from a from a generational standpoint, 
they're really good at that quick back and forth conversation as opposed to, you know, an old gray hair like me. I'm like, well, you know, what, how, do, how do we respond to this? What kind of standard responses do we want? You have to have all that stuff squared away. But having that organic conversation is, is, is really important. This is also a great avenue to let us get into our student populations to build cultures of, of, of philanthropy on our campuses. Um, in, in my experience, we've not had great success, nor have we really tried a whole lot to put our student populations into the phone program uh, for, for various reasons. But when you, when you text those, text, the, text current students or text young alumni, they tend to respond a lot more favorably, I found in my experience, uh, than you know, your, your general donor. I know there was, there was a lot of, there's been a lot of trepidation over the last few years of, oh, what if our donors think this is a scam or you know, we, we didn't get permission or, or, or what have you, any, any, of, those, any of those reasons to, that, that we generally fret about, I find those are really non-issues with our, with our young alumni and our student population. So why aren't we using that? And why aren't we using that mass power of our phonathon to do that in a, you know, in, in, in a way that hopefully will increase that ROI, not just not, not necessarily just from an engagement standpoint, but also doing some fundraising by texting. And, and the, the tests that we've done so far have been pretty doggone successful. And I'm, I'm hoping at OSU in the next year or so, we're, we're really going to be able to implement that as well. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm always intrigued when people say that they're not going to include uh, their students in their digital fundraising or digital engagement efforts or just overall fundraising and engagement efforts because they're sitting right there on your campus or virtually, I guess, right now sitting right there on your campus um, or do a hybrid environment. Point is, is that they're right there. They're, they're going to be the most engaged right now because they're living in it. And to then only engage them or only solicit them or only ask them to ask for donations, whether it's from a crowdfunding per perspective, a giving day perspective, a phone perspective, anything of the sort, after they've graduated, I always feel like we have maybe uh, made it more difficult on ourselves. So I think we can all admit fundraising is difficult to begin with. I think one of the things you did, a nice shout out to Kelly at Sullivan at UT, um, but one of the things you did at uh, Texas really well is like kind of engage and infuse the energy of engagement and fundraising with your student population. Is that something that you're you're striving to do at the OSU Foundation now that you're there? hundred percent. We we have a really um, top-notch student foundation uh, that that we're the foundation you know advises. We we love for them to take that organic lead. On, on things, uh, students raising money from students for students. Um, there has been a, a, a pretty significant focus on education more than, more than actual fundraising, uh, but we're, we're really trying to turn the corner on that. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things too, we have to think about it differently than we're, we currently think about our normal quote unquote annual giving, which you and I both kind of loathe that term, I know. Um, we're not going to be asking your average sophomore in, in college to give 10 bucks back to the back to the dean's fund of, of the business school or what have you. We really have to be thoughtful in this because our colleagues out in the traditional not-for-profit world, I hesitate to say they've got to figure it out, but their messages are a lot more compelling. Food insecurity, um, 
helping people in, in poverty, uh, you know, under underserved populations. Well, I honestly, this is this is kind of I don't want to say it's bad on me, but it's one of those things. It's really just been in the last five years or so that I myself realized, oh, there's food insecurity issues on college campuses. There are students who are graduating who, you know, basically have put everything they had into getting through college and they need a suit to go interview in and they really don't have the money to go, you know, to go get those clothes. Uh, campus sustainability, um, recycling, uh, I'll just leave it at recycling and not try to go down that list. But uh, those are the kinds of things that our younger populations really are excited about and want to be involved in. And right now, in a lot of ways, the higher ed fundraising space is letting our colleagues in that traditional nonprofit space really have, have the lion's share of all that. Uh, I mean, we just got done with Giving Tuesday, we before last, and we saw a phenomenal response to um, a food insecurity ask. Uh, you know, with our general donor population, we had some, we had some students pop up as well. So these are the kinds of things that I feel like we need to focus on from a student philanthropy standpoint that are going to get not only are students prepared to continue their tradition of giving after they graduate and go out into the wider world, but really uh, kind of cleave them to that, that university community as, as a whole, um, helping us realize that there is there is need you know right outside of our doorstep and for sure we want to help meet that need and we find more often than not that our students are very very receptive to that uh and, and so it, it those are the types of things between that and meeting them where they are whether that's and i you know i hate to say oh a gimmick of like the ice bucket challenge or something like that but you know if you can tie any of that into your university traditions that's that's really a you know it's, it's going to be a slam dunk uh as well as um oh they're the university tradition okay here we go now, now we're going to get to an edited part Let's bring it okay <laughs> i love uh, this right now yeah univer university traditions are you know are a good thing uh, gimmicks are a good thing um but as far as meeting them where they are goes we really have to be more thoughtful and more flexible from our back office procedures as well. We got to start figuring out a way to, you know, to take Venmo, PayPal, Apple Pay, any of the electronic wallets. It, it's interesting to me to go around and see our student foundation working and raising funds on campus and tabling and, and doing that stuff and, and meeting people where they are. And then when it's time to actually make the pitch, so to speak, students are like, I don't, I don't have a credit card on me. I don't carry any cash. I, I would love to give to this and I'm ready to pull the trigger here. But, I mean, you know, if I can't Venmo you or I can't Apple pay you, then uh, sorry. <laughs> and I think that's probably one of the biggest evolutions in phone to begin with is the way in which that you actually make payment. You mm -hmm. know, long gone are the days that young people especially are comfortable with giving their credit card number and CVV number over the phone, right? And so your point of... You know, it's one thing if you're going to have a really robust student foundation, which OSU has one of the largest and most notable, but it's also then creating an avenue of which your message is in the right channel, but your giving abilities in the right channel. So for anyone listening who would be interested in learning more about Graduate's digital wallet, including Venmo, feel free to reach out 
One thing I did want to uh, point out from your, your statement, Adrian, before we move on to um, mail, of course, um, because I feel like we, we, we can't finish this conversation without talking about direct mail, sure. um, is more just around the ability for um, unrestricted funds um, and restricted funds to be allowed on the phone. You know, at one point when we first started out, it was, you know, give to the unrestricted account. Don't even think about soliciting on the phone or really any other channel for your restricted funds. Um, and if anyone is really focused on food insecurity, I'd highly suggest we had Do um, Dean um, Christina Olstead on this podcast a few weeks back, and she's the Dean of Student Affairs at Wisconsin. And she and her team and you know, Central DAR have worked together to create a very robust food insecurity student support fundraising program. So if anyone's looking for more information, please go to the graduate.com website and, and listen to that podcast. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about mail. Okay. So we have said for years that direct mail has never been dead. I know that you and I have talked about this because we sat on a panel discussion about a few years back. But I think we can also agree that it is quite expensive, and especially right now, it is not getting any cheaper, my friend. So I guess if we're thinking about phone maybe not being complementary in our entire suite of digital fundraising, right. mail's not necessarily by its very nature digital. It can have digital components, right? QR codes, making people go from the mail piece to the website. But what strategies are you and the team employing on segmentation to optimize your mail return on investment. Yeah, I mean, because it's so expensive, we do very, very little acquisition mailing. Um, I think there's a space for that still. If you can find it in your in your in your budget to to do some testing around that, uh, definitely do it. But the lion's share of our direct mail is focused on renewal and or uh, I wouldn't, we rarely even go out to long last. Uh, we're, we're talking short lapse people trying to get them back on the bus. Um, the thing around that is as well, I, that's what I always love it when, when it's uh, direct mail vendor time to, to come visit or when we go to a conference, which thankfully I hope we're, we're getting back to conferences this year. Uh, when we go to the, go to our, our direct mail vendor friends, and see all the great stuff they have. You feel this paper. This paper feels so great. Look at this cool brochure. Look at what this school did. And they, you know, they've got their mascot and punch it out and take it, take pictures with it, post it up. All those things are awesome, and I love them. And I wish I had an unlimited budget to 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 go to town with some of those things. But still, is 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 weird as it makes me feel to say it. Ugly Betty statement mailer is still by far the best performing piece that we have sent at the last two institutions I've worked with. Um, Adrian, for those for those who might be new on the podcast and don't really know, you and I are laughing right now, which no one can see. But for those of you who don't know what an ugly Betty is, can you just explain it for those of us who aren't looking at it? Yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's basically like a bill uh, that I, I mean, I hate, I even hate to say it. That's what I, I still have my friends who are development officers. And that's really impersonal. That is that that it's it's not the the flashiest mail piece. We're really talking about a bifold tear off pledge card with contact information, so you can update that and your last couple of funds you've given to with an upgrade array on there. And it 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 gives a sense of urgency. Um, it gives a sense of this is just something I do. This is one more thing that I do as a donor 
I'm going to get on here and, you know, I'm going to look on a pledge card. I'm going to go to the website and, and make my gift, or I'm going to mail this back in or, or what have you. Uh, so th those simple pieces are, are really still uh, the king, so to speak, I feel like from a, from a result standpoint. Also, they are cheaper. Uh, they're going to be a lot cheaper than, you know, the paper that feels like shark skin. You rub it one way, it's smooth, and the other way, it's, you know, but, oh, let's do some gold leaf on this business. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't want to. You're going to get some off. haters on the gold leaf. Like, yeah. I can imagine some people are like, but, but, but I love the gold leaf paper, yeah. Adrian. I, I, I'll say this. I do love that kind of stuff for a higher end. If you're talking about your president's club or something like that, if you're talking about kind of a leadership level annual gift to mid-level giving, if you're talking about something that you're trying to get, say, your number of $10,000 donors jumped up at the end of your, of your comprehensive campaign, those things, I feel like small niche projects like that, again, they're going to be expensive, but they can work because they make, they make donors. And generally, I, I feel like we're talking about folks who are already plugged in and engaged to some greater or lesser extent. You're not going to send the gold leaf to your non-donor who's been graduating for 30 years. Uh, you might send it again to somebody who's, you know, in your presence club and they've been lapsed for a year. You know, we've missed you and we want to show you that, you know, that, that we, we really care about getting you back. Uh, the, those things are, are, are really effective there. I, I mean, and as much as I, I do, I, I want to say it was Michigan a few years ago. We, we went to a conference and they had a sample of, you know, a fold out pennant. As simple as that is. Hang it up in your queue, you know, and, and they had a great response to the, the you know, that, that thing. But you have to be really thoughtful about your segmentation, who you're going to send that to, how much budget you have for that to that to be something other than, oh, this is look at this cool thing we did. Well, how did it do? Well, it didn't do great, but it was a cool thing. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we've got to stay away from from that kind of business. But I mean, even at OSU, you know, I, I've been here almost a year now. And when I came on board last year, we were in the middle of our, uh, we call it our, our academic mailer here at Texas, we call it our Dean's Letter. You know, the standard thing, you cast out to all your units, give us a handful of bullet points, what, you know, what, what really was going well at the college this year, what your priorities are. You got to send that back to the Dean. You know, it's, it's all from a, from a quality assurance and, and review standpoint, it's a bear. Well, we decided at OSU to make it even more of a bear by having college-specific brochures for each of our each of our units. So, you know, of course, the OSU Oklahoma City campus, well, they don't want a bunch of pictures of the Stillwater campus on their brochure, or you know, the College of Business. We don't want that girl with the microscope on the front of ours. Let's do the stock ticket, you know, that sort of thing. So what I found out looking at the results from that over kind of a handful of years, we used to not do this. We did this because we thought it would drive results up. It did not. We got the same results from a letter that we were sending as opposed to this fancy brochure. So what we're going to do this year, we're going to save some budget money. We're going to keep the segmentation the same, uh, but it's going to be a bulleted letter from all these deans, from the, you know, the president of OSU, OKC, you know, those sorts of things. Because we had, we didn't really see the difference in in, in those two from a result standpoint. Uh, we can take that budget money and put it somewhere else now, and, and and put it to better use. Now, what I will say is, you also do have to test. I mean, testing is our is our annual giving life lifeblood. The you know the simple A B test. Um, 
And again, for those those just listening, this is the, the visual aid for a for a listener only is, is great. I'm, I realize it. Everyone's <laughs> nodding their podcast, head right now, being yeah. like, yeah. Like, yeah, thanks. But you know, I, I'm holding up our, you know, our end of year ugly buddy here. It says happy holidays right there. Um, you know, try urgent, try, you know, renew, join, any of that language, you know, put two of those things head to head. Try an orange envelope versus a white envelope versus another color envelope. Those are the things I feel like that are going to get you more ingress than going fancy with your, you know, with your internal piece per se. Some kind of teaser on the outside that's going to make them say, you know, I really need to open this up and not either put it in the round file or put it in my giant stack of junk mail that I'm going to get to later over here. I mean, these are really the fundamentals. Yeah, I remember when I was at Hopkins, I think I showed you this uh, ugly Betty when when we were at a a conference together. The best one I have ever sent is, have you heard, as the teaser on the outside with a question mark for those of you who are listening, because your initial reaction is like, I don't know, have I? What what did I miss? Right? And so you initially have someone kind of open it from there. So yes, uh, A-B test with a uh, call to action on the outer envelope is Mm -hmm. always a good thing. And if anyone really wants to know what envelope Adrian's holding, um, I'm sure he'll contact you if you reach out. Yeah, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm a big pay it forward guy. I've always been lucky enough to have great, great mentors in the field and, and folks who just, you know, helped out with ideas. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm, I'm always happy uh, to, to help a fellow, uh, a fellow soldier out here in the, in the, in the field. <laughs> and he means it because we've known each other a long time and we still go back and forth and ask each other questions and, and get feedback. The last question I'm going to ask you, and then we'll, we'll do a quick wrap up is, you know, you, you talked about the evolution of the phone program. You talked about the changes that the phone program would have between segmentation and um, needs, the contact rates, and then how one program, one channel like a phone should be complementary to others, other digital fundraising, other digital engagement, mail itself. But I want to ask you a staffing question because it doesn't fall on me that what you've just described requires not just a different mindset from you all the way down, but it also might require having new skill sets or new people on your team. So if you could hire anyone right now with a skill set, what skill set would that be based on this conversation? That's a, that's an interesting question because I I, could, I feel like I could go two different ways here. So let me let me let me pick two. I'll pick two. Um, first and foremost, because I think this is an area that many annual giving shops don't don't either have the 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 staffing budgetary bandwidth to to do. Um, or the way their shops set up, it's just not conducive, but. Data analysis. Uh, I've got folks on my team who are wonderful executors. Uh, my director of, of, of direct marketing, she keeps trains running on time. She's like, hey, look, let's, you know, let's test this. Let's do all the things we need to do. We can't have these pieces stepping on each other. Um, our ROI on these pieces aren't that great. So let's, let's try something different. So we've got kind of a uh, not just a surface level, but not much below surface level capacity for analysis on that front. I need somebody with data analysis chops who can sit on my team, who can really dive down into our results and our strategies, who can also be a part of our team, sit at, sit at the table, hear the side conversations that are going on, 
hear what our, you know, our goals are, what we're really trying to achieve, who can think about it from a holistic standpoint, but also have kind of the technological chops to dive down in there and really identify these trends. Uh, help us focus our segmentation more. Help us find new segments. Help us increase the pipeline. Help us increase participation where we're, you know, where we're looking to do that. So I, I think it's one of those things that I've been lucky enough in, in the last, you know, say 15 years in the business to have members of, of my teams who have been interested in that and would essentially be self-taught, for lack of a better word. But they're still an annual giving coordinator or maybe an assistant director. They're not getting paid the money that a legit, if you, if you put the job description or the job title as data analyst, we're going to be getting some of our fellow compatriots from the nonprofit industry as opposed to some hotshot who's been working in, in insurance on the on the data side of things for five years and wants to try his or her hand at something you know something new, uh, so I feel like legitimate, actually trained data analysts would be would be number one, and really num number two, somebody in the digital space. Um, the, the, this is I feel like that's a number two because a lot of us do have development marketing creative services teams or university marketing creative services teams who have those staff members who can who can help with that being said it's kind of like having uh, an analyst who's maybe 30 30 percent of the time on your business intelligence or your enterprise solutions team um, you got somebody on your marketing team who's their digital specialists and they can give your annual giving team maybe 10 or 15 percent when annual giving is still doing, the vast, vast, vast majority of solicitation, general communication, and engagement with your with your donor base and your future donor base. Um, so, somebody who can really get in there and not just oh, you know, I hired somebody to do our social media post. That's not really what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about somebody who is more like an an analyst on that side of things, but also has the creativity to say, you know, what we should be doing we should be striking here or we should do some geofencing over over here and see who we can pull out to really target and uh, and do things like that. And again, I'm, I'm being nebulous because I, I, you know more about the specifics of those things than 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 I do. But I see the value in that and having to rely on another in, you know, internal team member outside of your team to to do those things. That's that's well and fine, and nobody has unlimited budgets, and everybody's you know struggling for that dollar and struggling for that full time equivalent or what have you. But in a perfect world, uh, having a having a, a digital specialist with some with some serious chops would be would be a great thing. No, I, I agree with you on, on both fronts. I do love that I asked you for one and you gave me two, but but I don't disagree with your two, um, Adrian. I cannot thank you enough for being here today and giving us a, all of your um, honest feedback, your guidance, the candor. Um, it's been a true pleasure. I'm so glad we were able to do this. I know we've talked about doing a podcast session for quite some time. Um, and for those of you who are listening, as a reminder, we will release a new topic um, roughly every week. So come to graduatetv.com um, and we'll see what's next and up and coming. Until next week, listeners, I am Brittany Schaff, and thank you for listening to Fundraising Forward.